podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Zero Pucks Given, the UK ice hockey podcast. Uh, We are in partnership with Blades Belong on Your Feet, the charity fighting knife crime all across the UK with ice skating. And we are in partnership with the Hockey Art Co. Worn by the best, hated by the rest. Hockey designed clothing for everybody. Every listener to Zero Pucks Given will get a 10% discount on anything site-wide at hockeyartco.co.uk. Just head there, pick what you want from the website and put the code ZP10 when you check out and you will get your 10% discount. This is a special bonus episode. This is a complete women's ice hockey special. I'm going to be joined by two fantastic guests discussing the growth of the game, how we intend to grow it bigger and how the seasons are sort of going to work. They've just started now, giving everyone a little bit more of an opportunity to go and see women's hockey. We, we do discuss in there, 99% of the time, it is free. Middle of the day, sometimes not too late at night, get the family down there to watch women's ice hockey. Let's get straight to them. I'm joined by Faye Andrews and Lucy Spolton. Zero pucks given in partnership with Blades Belong on Your Feet and the Hockey Art Co. It's our women's ice hockey special presenting Faye Andrews and Lucy Spolton. Thank you for joining me this evening. How are you? Oh, great. Thanks. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, now, Faye, you recently had a new title at the IHA, um, you're the, the Director of Women's Hockey. Uh, General Manager. General Manager. My apologies. WNIHL. Excellent stuff. And you are also one of the directors for Ice Hockey UK. Just recently, yes. Congratulations. Thank you. Well done, Faye. And Lucy, we spoke briefly at Milton Keynes, didn't we, in April? Yes, I've, I've, everyone seems to recognise me from when I do events. And yeah. Say, remember, yeah, yeah, I, I remember. Yeah, so obviously the <laughs> the painstaking, time-consuming thing that is NIHL events. Um, yes. And you're also an ambassador for Her Game 2, which is obviously just quite a new initiative, but it's opened up into, into ice hockey as well. Yeah, it's doing great things in other sports, and it was just time that it stepped across. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Is uh, obviously the WNIHL season has just sort of kicked off in the last couple of couple of weeks, isn't it? We've seen some some good results coming in. There's been a big influx of players, I think, hasn't there? And what do you think's been behind that? Playoffs for a start. I think that we held such a successful event in Sheffield over the summer. We had over the three days. It was the bank holiday weekend. Over the three days, um, we had hundreds of people coming in for either individual games or buying the weekend passes we sold 211 live streams for that weekend as well um first time it's ever been monetized um and we charge five pounds five pounds on the door all weekend and we charge five pounds for every uh for all games one one flat fee just just to test to see if people would pay to watch women's hockey a Mm. lot of people did um the u16s girls games were the showcase events of the weekend um 
unexpectedly so yeah they were um but everybody came out of that weekend saying the under 16 girls games were absolutely like thrilling to watch really exciting loads and loads of fans not just the parents but people actually there cheering the teams on um they were one of the higher amounts of purchases through the live streams and the elite final um so i think that philosophy that we all sort of subscribe to as females if you can see it you can be it there were lots of girls who had attended the weekend that teams maybe didn't make it Mm. or parents that have brought their younger female children along and I think that that might have had a push then for them to get signed up to see actually there is under 16 girls it can be played at a high level it's not just about playing mixed hockey with the boys which some young girls don't want to do they might not be at that standard they might not have started when they were six years old they might be 12 13 14 which in mixed hockey it is quite late Mm. but if there's an under 16s program that can develop the girls and and play at a higher level you suddenly get a um a a higher take up on that we've had bristol enter an under 16s girls team this season we had leeds enter an under 16s girls team this season um Cambridge have just entered a women's senior team. So we've seen a big growth in parts of the country that either already have established women's programme and bringing younger programme in, or, as in Cambridge's case, brand new team, new rink, new team, and they've gone straight in with a senior women's team, um, which to me, again, and, and they're not all existing players. They're players that have signed up from elsewhere or they're players that are new to the game. Mm. So it's just about providing those opportunities, but also giving a showcase to it and a platform and actually having people see it in person and see that it's accessible and see that it is actually a product as well yeah. as just something that's kind of played after the men are finished. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, with the, some of the girls that do play even at senior level play mixed, I think last year at the, the Britain finals at Milton Keynes, we had Ellie Wakelin playing for the, um, they were the Rumford Raiders too at the time. They're now the Rumford Buccaneers. Um, and unfortunately, had they have made the final, she wouldn't have been able to play because she went off to Korea mm-hmm. with the with the GB senior squad. Um, and she actually played. Uh, I'm I'm a Chelmsford fan, so I go and watch Chelmsford as as often as I can. She played down at ours last Sunday, and there were people sitting around me that I knew hadn't really been before. I didn't recognise faces, and they they were baffled. Why is there a girl player? And and they're like, oh, what if they hit her? And I turned around and said, if they hit her, she'll hit back twice as hard. Exactly. And the, and, and the fact that that is possible in this sport, it blows people's minds. Um, I find it brilliantly exciting. I think it should happen in more sports. I've always wanted to see it in boxing. <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, that might say more about you than, than anything. <laughs> my, my old boxing coach was a woman, so I, 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 I lost that incomfortable thing of hitting a woman quite hey, early on. If you want to spend your time getting punched in the face by women, that's, that's for a different podcast. It's probably that's, not. <laughs> no, no, but that's also, that's being married for the best part of 17 years. <laughs> uh, but you're right you're right and and again with uh national two national one um we've got a number of really highly skilled high level female players mm. mostly centered around the the women's senior gb you've got ellie wakelin you've got the likes of jodie lee bloom gb captain um playing at coventry with their national two team you've got yeah. steph towns who's just joined the new billingham i want to say they're the buccaneers they as well are the buccaneers yeah. uh, billingham buccaneers um national two um, and I think that that's a really great level for them to be playing at, um, especially when I think the standard generally 
of those national two, national one teams because they're looking at creating a pathway into national division or they might already have a team at high level. Yeah. Um, they're so committed to just developing their like their program and their own ice product that, like you said, that person said, how can they have a girl playing for them? For that team, that's not a girl playing for them. That's probably one of their best defence. Yeah. It doesn't matter if she's got a ponytail or not. No, it doesn't. Um, and that's the same for, like, say, Jodie Lee, who is putting up numbers at Coventry. And I know the guys that play against her, they don't they don't treat her any differently than they do the male members of the team. But they also know that she's a scoring threat, which is yeah. great. So you're absolutely right. But at the same time, having that be visible and celebrated and not be just somebody they've signed up to sit on the bench, to be actively producing and contributing to the team's success when they win and being getting regularized time and and those girls going along and seeing those national games, looking at a girl playing, that gives them a bump to say, well, is there a girls team? Can I play? Mm. How, do, how do I get to do that? Suddenly so, it's possible. So yeah. Is it massively beneficial that the, the, the girls that want to play mixed hockey, does it sort of transpire into more success for the women's game? Does it bring eyes over? Or is it more of a shock factor for people that aren't really on board with the sport, that, that are new to it? Is it is it more just, oh, women can play with men? I don't think that it's a shock factor for people who watch hockey. Oh, no, for people um, that know the game, it's not at all. People like who are new, or even it might be a bit surprising, but you give that player, if it's somebody at the standard of Jodie Lee or Steph Towns or um, Ellie Wakelin, for instance, they see that player pay two or three shifts, then their surprise is gone. Because mm. they're just a player that is good enough to play for that team. Yeah, and I think it translates into then. I mean, they're really key players for their women's teams as well, and they're really key players for the GB team. So it's not just that they have a part in the mixed team, because that does translate over to women's. Because then they see them playing alongside other really skilled females in the women's team. They see see the GB women's senior team who are all highly skilled. Lots of them are playing. Some are playing um, high school or college hockey abroad. Some are playing national two. Um, You've got some really, really talented U18s coming through the mix system as well as women's. Um, so I think that it does it does highlight the whole game. Yeah. Because there are, like like I said, you know, you've got an Ellie Wakelin playing at Romford, National 2, but then you've got a Chrissy Newman who's never played National and is still one of the best players that the country's got. Yeah. Or you've got a, a Saf Allen or a Abby Sylvester or somebody who will play women's who are as good as, if not better than some, some others who've never played mixed. It just highlights that how that pathway can still be um, parallel rather than one being above the other. Yeah. Um, and when you see them all play together and they gel so well and they play so such a high level, and obviously they got promoted to one B and stayed there, Yeah. which is one thing getting promoted. It's another thing staying there. Um, it just shows that those two programs now are on a parallel path and they're, players that are taking part in them are excelling at a similar rate to girls who just play in women's teams. I bet, I bet are they all knocking your door down, Lucy, to say, get more events, give us more events. We want more show pieces. Uh, the events are all in phase court. They're yeah. not in phase court. They're, we just have <laughs> play on those ones and we love running them. Um, I did attend the uh, Nationals last season uh, in Sheffield. They kind of invited me. Um, and I loved it. I do a lot of senior men's. Um, that's where a lot of my time spent. And I'll fully admit, I've sat on my phone because I, I know, I know what's going to happen. I know how they play. I'm, I'm not actually that interested. Mm. Um, I actually put my phone down. 
at women's and those under 16 games were something else they were amazing amazing games and if that's the standard of women's hockey in the uk then it's going to be a bright future to come there's a lot of good things (laughs) (laughs) but a lot of the girls i spoke to um i mean last year i did speak to two or three of the under 18s um who have made that under 18 squad again that was announced recently uh, in uh, Lily Endicott, Amelia Williams, Talia Davidson, Wright, and Abby Minter. Um, again, they're they're all playing at an incredibly high level. For I mean, 16, 17 years old, they're all playing elite league or national. And is it is it a uh, in this country? Is it getting the younger ones playing that high level when they're younger? Because they don't really have the Chelmsford rule like the men, where they they can play at fourteen, can't they? they can play senior hockey, and is it vital to? get them in it as quickly as possible yeah and that's where when I started when I started with the IHA I started as a director and then moved into the general manager role last year um same job as I was doing last year just different title um one of the first things I did was look at that that age group it was 16 it could be 15 with dispensation and I did a really big piece of work where I wanted to see what the history of that was Mm. why it had been changed why it had been raised to 16 and they made a really good case for that being moved to 14. We did consultations with Sport England, looked at other comparable sports like field hockey, uh, women's touch rugby, football. And 14 seemed to be the benchmark standard. There's not really a legislation that says it has to be 16 or 14. Or, and we looked into safeguarding with Sport England about contact. And mainly it was around um, supervised um, contact off the ice in changing spaces and, and and washing and changing facilities and also uh physical contact 14 was set those sports that don't play a physically con- a physical contact game so we took that as um guidance from sport england and around those um sports that we look i think lacrosse was in england lacrosse was in there as well 14 is the age that they can start training and playing with the what they consider to be like the senior squad senior teams yeah um, and that goes for club level as well as national team. So I was happy to drop that. And as soon as I did, there was, I wouldn't say like a massive influx, but those players that are of a really high level. So you mentioned a few names there. So for instance, we sent Abby Minter on to a high performance camp with the IHF in Finland last year because she was a a, a prospect for GB. Yeah. Um, along with, with three or four of her teammates and a couple of staff to go through that high performance development. Now, that's the sort of player that as soon as they hit 14 and it's just senior hockey, it's not even just elite, it's national two national women's national two, one and an elite was all 16. So we expose them to senior women's hockey, even if it's at national one, the old, the old women's premier and they play up to elite and they get a spot a few games at the time. It's just that exposure. And that's also why we had the rule of the U23s can, can play up, register yeah. at the lowest team and play up. So, that gives them increased ice time for all U23s, not just your GB prospects, but any, anyone. Um, as soon as they hit 14, they're into senior women's, but they're still getting that exposure of playing with teammates their own age at U16s. They might be playing mixed hockey as well. So it's as much ice time as possible for those girls that are 14 plus um, up to U23, which is really crucial. You look at some of the studies that have been done around development and around sports development, especially with women's ice hockey in countries similar to ours. So like the Danish program and some of the like Scandinavia, Latvia are are a good example as well. Um, They see that as a really critical period Mm. of exposure to ice, coaching, training, um, skills development 
from 14 onwards. Um, so we took that and, and really tried to sort of push it as much as possible. So all those opportunities for them to join teams, play for more than one team, play for, if, you know, play for, if Kingston's a good example, they've got a national two, national one and an elite team. Yeah. and the skills program so they've to me they've they've nailed it they've got a pathway right through to elite where they're developing their players every single time play up from 16s to national two from national two to national one national one to elite and, and they've got a really good program there so that's the sort of thing that we really want to grow in other clubs if they get the numbers they can create these pathways where they're, they're recruiting and developing their own their entire system yeah absolutely so I think that, yeah, I think the dropping the age to 14 immediately used to be 14 a long time ago. And I, I thought, well, that's a, that's the logical step. And to match the U23 rule with the, with what was in the NIHL rules of competition, because obviously if the, if the guys are doing it, then the girls do it too. Yeah, and the girls, as you say, especially when they can play for more than one team, they're getting so much more ice time. Which is just and they're producing. Vital. They get a lot of ice time. If it's somebody who's just on the fringe of an elite spot, and they play in national one, the gap is not that great. So if they're putting up good numbers and they're getting all their exposure and great coaching at both levels, and they start producing numbers, scoring, getting points, 14, 15, 16 years old, and then they drop up, drop uh, bump up into an elite spot, and they're only sixteen or seventeen, and they're putting up numbers there as well. We're looking at it from right right from the grassroots level of mixed U14, U16 sort of age, right through to where your next U18s and senior GB women are coming from. Mm. Because we've got to keep developing that program. Those players eventually, the current squad, they're gonna they're gonna choose something else, they're gonna retire, they're gonna, you know, that, yeah. that's life. That's life. But then you always have to think where are our next players coming from? And at the same time, you've got girls who have done that and they're still playing, but they're not in the squad anymore. You've got women who are never going to play for the GB team and have no interest in doing that. And they know that their ability level is just for national one or national two, but they get, they play alongside players that are developing. They also still want to learn. Even if they're 40 years old, they still want to learn something. They still want to be competitive and, and win. So playing alongside those talented young players brings them up as well. Yeah. So I feel like it's it was just it's just a win win all the way through, and everybody gets the exposure to the standard that they need to and that they deserve, and also the the right amount of ice time for what the end goal kind of is. Well, in a short term, what is the end goal? Is it Olympics? Um, well, I would say women's worlds. Keep just keep building on that. I mean, it would be amazing to see. GB in the top level with the, with the guys at Worlds and it would also then be amazing to see when I say GB I mean the women because obviously yeah. we're <laughs> I'm talking we're, about them that's all we're here to talk about that's all we're here to talk about um, if I'm referring to the men I'll say GB men but GB have the potential to go to the top division and it's it's not a quick fix it's a case of us putting these resources in place to work on athlete fitness to treat the athletes like athletes this is one of the things that a, but lacking for such a long time in the women's game is to treat those athletes like high performance athletes, which they are. Give them the resources to work on that stuff where in previous years they've been expected to go away and just work on it at their own time and their own expense. Mm. And I think uh, a higher position, get seeded higher in 1B or even a promotion to 1A, keep pushing 
that train up to the top division. And it would be amazing if that then was parallel with an Olympic qualifier proceeding through because they did so well in Nottingham and missed yeah. out on the next round of group stages where I like one one goal in a in a one nil game against the team that did go through. And I know that the 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 team the group that they came from, if they went through to the next round, they I would have said 80-20% chance they probably wouldn't have won. But the experience against playing against those teams that are that cut above and that higher level, that does something to you. Yeah, absolutely. You have to experience that. And you might be on the end of a 10-0 loss, but you sit there and you think, wow, this is what we need to get to. And if, again, you can see it, you can be it. But you have to have those experiences. So I think that that's absolutely on the cards. I think that the programme is more than capable of developing the current team by treating them as serious athletes and developing them as such. And I think we've got a crop of players coming through the ranks that are absolutely going to blow them away when they're old enough. Yeah. What is what is her game too then? What is their sort of modus operandi, their their ethos in, in getting behind this? What What is it they're going to do to help improve it? Her game too is, it's an initiative that's excelled in other sports and it's there to help tackle sexism that women face in sport either playing um, primarily in other sports at more of a grassroots level and also safe spaces for fans as well, be it in a rink or outside of the rink, online, social media, that sort of thing. Something I have asked them to also bring on that I'm passionate about, it's not just about the players on the ice. For me, it's also uh, women that volunteer in the sport as well. Well, we Hockey is a, a sport that is primarily volunteer-based. If we didn't have the army of volunteers that we do, um, the sport would not run in the UK. Um, but I hate to say it, I have seen some shocking incidents of abuse, sexist comments, things that have just stepped too far. And it's normally as a female volunteer who's been at the other end of it. Um, so that's really the aim of what they want to do. That's how their model work, works in other sports. Uh, we are working to get the EIHA involved. Um, I've had a couple of meetings at the moment. I'm just waiting for the right people to come back to me with how they want to go ahead. But I think once we can get the EIHA on board, we can start them rolling this out and getting this embedded into the junior levels at the moment. Um, and then working our way up to women's teams. We are having interest in women's teams who want to join the mission as well and help to spread the word and spread the cause. Actually, women's hockey has its place. It's here. Um and that sexism has no right, no place in the sport. No, no, no place in any sport for, yeah. for me. It's um, yeah, it's 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 one of the reasons when I, I saw that come out that you'd sort of join that initiative. Um, I've followed Faye's social media since I've been doing this with great interest. She's quite a character. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I know. I oh, mean, my... I'll get loads of like Instagram requests now after this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not I'm not I'm not giving out your handle don't worry you've tagged me in it about three times <laughs> <laughs> yeah sorry this nature of the beast unfortunately but the uh I mean my other sporting interest is boxing and I have always been a massive advocate of women's boxing I absolutely love it as I said earlier my my old coach was a woman um I loved watching her fight training with her and I, th- I think it's getting there I think possibly the women's football helped the, the way the way they did so well I think it's kind of starting to turn attitudes around um but obviously with a with such a physical game like hockey 
it's uh, it's similar to, to boxing in the sense of taking those fans that have been a fan of the men's game and turning them into also being fans of the women's game because it's it should be the way that, that boxing is for me. It's not women's boxing, it's just boxing. And when I've come to watch the uh, the chunks of Cobras or the chunks of Pythons, it's not women's ice hockey, it's just ice hockey. It's yeah. a little it's a little bit slower, it's not as physical, but then you can appreciate the skill, the stick handling and the vision that all these players have got because it's not 150 miles an hour and smashing each other into the boards like the men's game. So I think once starts people start to appreciate those subtle differences, it, it can be enjoyed just, just as easily as the men's game. Absolutely. And and for me, something I, I'm almost thinking about with the Her Game 2 platform is joining up with the say the men's team, the teams. I have connections with the bees. I'm I'm working to use those as well. Um to help use them as a platform to help push them once again. They have a massive platform. They have their fans that come in week in, week out. Um, okay, their star gates, women's hockey, some women's teams involved, use their social media platforms. There's plenty of male teams out there that have that women's link. They start making sure that those platforms are all being used to spread the message as well. Mm. Yeah, because you said so, social media is such a it's such an engine that it it needs to be sort of just driven into the path of doing it for good and not, as you say, things you've experienced that female volunteers or, or female players might get from the online community. Yeah. It's yeah. You just got to drive it down that middle path of, of using it for good, um, which, you know, it can be done. As you said, I've tagged you three times in this. I'm trying to use it for good and getting it out there, but it's a, uh, yeah, it can be so difficult. It's a, it's a minefield. I mean, it's a father of a teenage daughter. It's a social media is a minefield and, you know, we didn't grow up with this, did we? It's, it wasn't. It wasn't our generation. It's it's incredibly difficult how they must be growing up with. Literally... I mean, I don't know how old you think I am, but speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> no, I always say, um, being of a, a certain age, um, that I feel like in quite a privileged position because I'm young enough to remember not having social media and how to cope without it. I'm like old, like old enough to remember that, and and. The, grown up without it for a little while but mm. i'm also young enough still to know how to use it yes absolutely so i can kind of get the best out of the features of social media whether it be tiktok instagram um f- facebook twitter x sorry whatever um but also remember a time before it and still get annoyed by it because yes. I rem- i'm old enough to still shake my fist at it a little bit we could um, just say that we're old enough to remember dial up internet we're, we're- we could probably yeah. just say that, can we? Thanks. Thank you feel old. <laughs> yeah. I, I tell it daily, being the oldest member of my team at work by some years. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it, honestly, it's, it's a frightening world these that's out there. And if we can really focus, especially with young women, get them focused on a sport they enjoy. And as you said, Faye, show them a path that you can start playing at whatever age. And there is a pathway there for you to carry on playing the sport as long as you're physically able or as long as you want to. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's an incredibly strong message that uh, that I fully support. Um, I think with that, it's, it's raising the profile across all arenas. I mean, I attended a symposium in Budapest. Ice Hockey UK were kind enough to send me over to a women's summit with all the leaders of the member nations of their, their national team programs. And the emphasis was really on supporting, growing the women's game and how to engage with 
essentially your stakeholders, which are your clubs. Um, and they provided uh, support with resources. They, they provided uh, links and access to SharePoint sites that they've got like kind of uh, guides on how to use social media to get the best out of things on um, free downloadable video editing packages that you could get content from and how to kind of manage that if you have a, if you have a social media manager and how to really get the message out there you know graphics banners hashtag all that kind of thing and for want of a better word it was some of it was an idiot's guide mm. because some of the people who are running social media either for the national team programs women's and men's or for clubs might be somebody's friend sister brother parent um a mate who can kind of spare the time and keep the scores updated and post a picture every now and again, but they're not necessarily social media savvy. And as has been evidenced just by non-sports related content, people engage with stuff that's that's interesting and fun and, and lively and, and busy. And um, Solway Sharks ladies do a really good job of utilizing TikTok. Yes. And they put, they put loads of really fun TikToks and loads of really fun Instagram reels on all dressed in kit at the rink, mucking about, not necessarily anything about the games or hockey, but stuff that people are watching and sharing because it's, it's some of it's hilarious, but they're really, really good at, at that side of things, exposing, exposing the, the existence of the team and the people who play for the team and making it, for me, if I was new to hockey and it was, oh, I can't play hockey, I'm a girl. And then I saw something like that where they're just all messing around and having fun with each other and dressing up in stupid costumes and a little bit of ice hockey, but mostly like you can come and join us because we're just really friendly and we really want to have a good time. Yeah. That would definitely attract me more than seeing really professional uh, videos of games with girls who can skate and score and play hockey. I would think, oh, I'm not good enough for that. Like I'll stay at home. Yeah, you want to, you want the behind the scenes stuff. Yeah, of course. Everybody in, wants now. to see people falling over and being stupid and, and having a good time. Because no, but no athlete in this country who's female is a professionally played hockey, paid hockey player. Everybody's amateur. It comes out of all their own pockets. And yes, everybody wants to win their games. But you also got to keep it sustainable. And keeping it sustainable is attracting people who might never have played hockey before and get them to come and give it a try. And if they, if it looks inaccessible, because everybody's really good and they can all already skate and it all looks very polished and professional and, and you're just posting footage of your games and no personality and no fun they're probably going to say, I'll come and play netball or something instead, (laughs) which is not what we want because hockey is fun and everybody's really welcoming and it is a community. And and even at the highest level, the girls are there because they want to be there. Nobody's paying them. They're not under any contracts. Some might be lucky enough to get some sort of small sponsorship or something, Mm. but those elite clubs, I like to Solihull Vixens, been one of the best teams in the country, Queen Bees, best teams in the country for for years. Top four, you can pretty much name them every year. Yeah. Top teams in the country, year in, year out. Nobody gets paid to go there. They're training at midnight on a Friday night, travelling miles for games, getting home at 2 o'clock in the morning with no money in their pocket. So they're there because they want to be there. So what, do they, what are they going to do to attract other people to want to sacrifice that stuff for something other than money? And it yeah. is, it's, it's, the, it's the content that brings people in. So that girl gang vibe, isn't it? You want to go spend your time with a group of girls you'll actually get on with, but actually seem like a laugh. Yeah. And if that's men and it keeps the sport going, then yeah, I'm all for it. Let's do it. Yeah, Stratum Storm are quite good at that as well. They do a few good sort of fun things on their Instagram. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, it's something actually that they, I spoke to um, Stanislav Laszczek, who plays for Invicta Dynamos in the men's thing last week and said wow. about, you know, that the, the men's players are actually quite enjoying social media now. The fact that it's becoming a little bit more get behind the scenes, things like, like this podcast, you know, be spoken to, get it out there media wise. But I think it's something that the women are much more comfortable doing and do a far better job of it. The, uh, the, the, a lot of the clubs have got someone, as you say, the army of volunteers that the, the sport yeah. would just fold without. Um, Invicta particularly have got a girl called Freya McCune who does incredible audio visual, audio visual work. She had a drone on the ice at training the other day and the footage was absolutely incredible. And uh, I think that's something that's some of the men's clubs are falling massively behind with social media. Mm. I did the social media for the bees for a year. Mm. Um, it's like a full-time job sometimes. It was quite for long, but trying to oh, actually... Believe, believe me, I know. Yeah, <laughs> um, trying to get the, the the lads to actually connect with it and, and, and do stuff as a challenge. They're finally starting to buy in. Um, but before, yeah, there's definitely there's starting to be a change, I think, where they're seeing the power of what the women are already driving with their social media and they're buying into it. They want a piece of that action too. Yeah. I think the difference is that the women, and I might be phrasing this really badly, but it's kind of like they've got nothing to lose. Yeah. Everybody, the, the aim is to be taken seriously, to legitimise women's hockey and make it a product. But at the same time, we spent so long not being respected and not being legitimate and not being recognised that they're really not afraid to make stupid TikToks and dance and dress ridiculous and and make jokes and and just kind of make take the out of yourself, make fun of yourself. Yeah. For, for laughs. And I think some of the men's teams, it might be a man thing in general, you tell me, I'm not sure, on camera, on social media, suddenly being asked to wear like a stupid fancy dress outfit and do a, do a dance or something, they, they're not quite as forthcoming. Although take a note out of the, take a page out of the book of Belfast Giants when they did their All I Want for Christmas is You Christmas video. Yes. A couple of years ago. That's exactly what the guys should be doing, just ridiculous stuff like that. I was not interested at all in that team until I saw that. And I was like, they look like guys who know how to have a good time. Yeah, well, I'm not the manliest of men, so I I couldn't really adhere to any sort of level of manliness. But the um, yeah, it's 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 great to see from the women doing the social media. Like I said, I think the men are they're slowly getting there. It's going to take a little bit of time. But with women's sport in general, touching on your point there, fight, I think they're playing the hand they were dealt, and they're playing it incredibly well. And as you say, if if it's if you can't make the it's almost like it's like playing poker and they're bluffing at what's in their hand but they're making people think it's it's not as good as what they've actually got mm-hmm. and then but then when people come in and see it i think they'll get hooked yeah and, yeah. and if we start getting these girls because after the women won the the football in the summer i think then a lot of girls looked at sport as a particularly team sport and saw it as a viable not, not perhaps a career with football, I think that option is there. They've, they've plumbed an awful lot of money into it. Um, and that's why I say with the Olympics, I think if the if the women were to make an Olympics, I think the country would just fall in love with ice hockey. And and the, and then the girls would really start to sort of flow through. But that's, um, I mean, that's an enormous, enormous task. Yeah. And I think what I would like to see, and again, I'm not, 
putting words in anybody's mouth or saying these are things that are going to happen but just in terms of things that would help that um is the uk hosting more of the world's events for the women yeah um and the and the and the, and the men i think that we have a lot we have the venues for it if we if we plan ahead we can we can put hockey together i mean you can look at the match night at experiences at places like Panthers, Steelers, Belfast. They know how to put on big hockey events at those those large arenas. So we could definitely deliver a great world championship. We've done it with the with the one A with the men. So I would and we've had 18s at Dumfries and um women's and seniors. And so it's it's definitely something that we've shown time and time again that we can deliver. So I think I would like to see us do that more especially now the women have moved up into 1B and the quality of the hockey may be slightly higher. They're a bit more competitive, a few more competitive nations. Um, and really, really push that and plug it. I think the fact that the we hosted the qualifiers in Nottingham at the last minute because yeah. it was supposed to be in Korea and, and, and we said we would do it and Korea couldn't do it due to COVID restrictions. And that was a roaring success. The crowd for those women's games, I was an official at that tournament, and um, watching our home team play on home ice in front of a big home crowd and getting to have that fan support and have that big fan experience with the home fans at home was like it was like nothing that you could replicate. So I think that to keep that ball rolling that's kind of what I would like to see in the future is for us to be hosting more of those events or at least showing that we are capable of, of delivering them when, when the bidding time comes around um, and making really um, targeted campaigns to get spectators down and, and plug it. And I mean, even if it's offering free tickets to schools and all that kind of thing, but get, get people bums on seats or go away and tell their friends. Yeah. And they might come out and try it. And Nottingham's got a women's team. And, oh, I didn't realise my local rink had two women's teams or even four women's teams for different age groups in different leagues. It's it's that exposure always. And I think sometimes the exposure works top down. You see your national team doing well and you start looking for opportunities at a level that you want to compete at. Yeah. Rather than the other way around. That yeah. um, video, I was there as um, a gold judge for you in Nottingham. Um, the video they played the I think it was the final women's the final GB game on the big screens. That was a top of the heart string, real feel good moment video. Uh-huh. Let's get that sort of stuff on social media. Let's get that sort of stuff out there on all the big news sites, weather sports sites, and start using that to help plug up the sort of the, the emotional thing into the start sort of building on that a little bit. Lioness is doing really well on their social media. There's no reason why we can't do the same. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Almost like a guerrilla marketing, I suppose, isn't it? Get get a couple of people in for free. They'll tell five people. They'll tell five people. Yeah. And before you know it, we're kind of on the on the path of where we we need to be with the sport being taken seriously. It generating its own little bit of income. Um, because I mean, I, I spoke to um, uh, the Vicky Fiedler. She's the the sort of team manager at, at Chelmsford Cobras, and we was talking about how the winter sports in Britain, how the funding was given out. I think it was, I think it was five years ago. And I think it was like a million pound of funding. I don't think ice hockey saw even a hundred grand. 
which is insane. But as we said about the Olympics, if you look at what the curling team did, I don't know, eight, was it 16 years ago, 17 years ago now? And they did so well. They plumb money into that sport like no one's business. And every year, people watch it. My, my brother texted me the other day and he said, do you remember when we were like 14 and watching curling at like two in the morning? And I said, yeah, I, I don't know why. But now every year it's on, I watch it. <laughs> so it's it, it can have the same effect. The dancing on ice effect. Any time you go to a rink when dancing on ice is on, public session is rammed. Mm. So how can we start benefiting from that, that sort of dancing on ice impact? Even, um, I said it before when I've been in rinks and that dancing on ice impact is on, um, start giving out free tickets so they'll stay. Yeah. And actually watch the hockey. It's like that lost lead and give out the free tickets. They'll see the hockey or they'll see the men. They'll start looking to, into it further. It took me about 10 minutes of watching the hockey game to realise I could shout and no one would stop me. It was great. And then look at me now, 10 years later, I'm volunteering and I'm doing this. And then you start exploring other options. Oh, okay, actually, I start looking at that aspect. Oh, actually, that women's hockey, great. I just think so much can be done just by giving someone a free ticket at any level, just for they just so they can see the sport and so they start looking. Well, last year on Dance on an Ice, the Harringay Huskies actually made an appearance yeah. on, on the series. Um who do we talk to about getting one of the women's teams to do that this year? The season's what's it gonna kick off in January? Dancing on ice and new dancing on ice. Let's get one of the women's teams on there this year. Uh where where are they filming at? Let's find out where they're filming. Yeah. I did is it Elstree? I think they still did things in Elstree in North London. Because they they film the practice sessions, or don't they? Yeah. They do yeah, they do it Ali Pally sometimes, don't they? Sometimes Ali Pally, I think obviously maybe they'll go to Leave Alley this year because it's new and it's shiny and it's brand new open rink. Mm. So could, if, that that could be a whole different conversation as well. We start talking about Lee Valley. Yeah, <laughs> that's, again, that's for a different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that one we'd probably have to put the explicit uh, explicit warning on. <laughs> I've been really good, actually. I'm very proud of myself. I had to cut my mouth once. That's it. <laughs> now it's not an issue. It's just, I just have to press a different button. That's all. That's all it is. <laughs> it's an issue for me when people watch it back and go, "She's supposed to be." A- in charge of things. <laughs> she's just dropped two f bombs <laughs> on a really nice podcast about women's hockey. Yeah, I think I've, I'm nearly fifty episodes down, and I've not dropped an f bomb yet. So, nice one. It could be the day. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably coming on my boxing one. That is purely explicit. I have to, uh, I have to sort of remember to myself which one I'm doing sometimes. <laughs> But no, so I mean, moving in to the, the sort of you know the next few months, the the season's underway. The the fixtures they generally take place sort of early afternoon, don't they? Because they're kind of before the men at some rinks. Occasionally, I think they're after. Um, Take your pick. Um, It's a it's it's a very careful, well orchestrated uh, dance that we do every year. Um, I would uh, take this opportunity. Thank you, Sharon. Sharon is our fixtures secretary. Um, I think that's very much not a grand enough term for what she does um, and has done so for probably the last decade. Um, you could not pay me enough money to do that job. So I'm really glad that she actually enjoys it and, and does it to such a high standard. Um, senior slots as opposed to junior mixed slots, so we play 320s. Um, 
there's only a limited number of senior slots in every rink across the country. And then you've got places like Slough that are trying to house a million teams. Yeah. Um, so we've got four women's teams playing out of Slough. Queen Bees have three, and then Slough have their own women's team in National Two. Um, all needing three of which need senior slots. And then you've got Jets and Bees as well competing for those senior slots. So you're looking at either a tea time on a day that team is away. Um, maybe five, five thirty. I know some rinks will accommodate a lunchtime face-off. So at Kingston, they'll get the option of a twelve o'clock. Um, and I think potentially the, the you can't face off any later than seven thirty. So it's never going to be later than that. Um, I know some teams are being offered like their dead last slot of the day at half seven because that's when they can get accommodating, which on a Saturday is not terrible. But if you're playing in one of the nationally national leagues, which will be one or elite, and you're in Kingston and you're playing at 7.30 in Slough on a Sunday night. Yeah. A long day. And I will say, because I used to play for Kingston and we did used to get 7.30 face-offs in Slough on a Sunday night, that's a long way. And that is a long way home as well. Mm. So oh, we're it, talking Kingston upon Hull, aren't we? Kingston for upon Hull, not Kingston yeah, upon Thames. We're not talking about Kingston upon Thames. Oh, why would I talk about <laughs> Kingston upon Thames? Anything north of Watford's the north. Let's just put that there right now. That's not often um, you hear a northerner say that. <laughs> uh, I did. Well, I lived. I lived in in Victor for twelve years. So, <laughs> a geography of the south is is. Uh, I'm well schooled in the in the geography of the south. But yeah, so it's it's just a case of available slots. We tried to align with the National League, National 1, National 2. I worked with the director responsible for that last year in terms of ice time allocation because for a really long time, the women were always done really really dead last. So even after the juniors, everybody else, women got the last pick of the slots. And you'd find women's teams, even some of the best teams in the country, our national team players playing for these teams, playing all their home games every weekend, double headers in May. And it's like, we have got a whole season. So we did some good work with the GB programme. We managed to get our camp dates ahead of time so we could try and avoid those, put some stipulations in with a lot of support from NIHL um, and the junior section at the time that we could stagger the starts of the women's season. So the elite women will start in September. Um, National 1 and 2 will start around October time. Try and avoid the World Championship season. Yeah. And um, I put in a stipulation that we're not playing every single game in May. if Because we need to keep some of those weekends because we, we are going to get reschedules. We are going to have issues with ice as Amboni breaks down. Um, somebody changes, needs to change a fixture or whatever happens for whatever reason. We need to keep a few in the bank that we, we can move them before the playoffs start, which for us is the end of May. Yeah. And we would have teams playing right up until the weekend before playoffs and we wouldn't know who'd won the league. We wouldn't know who'd finished and we'd have Holtman away Saturday, Sunday, Saturday, Sunday, Saturday, Sunday, but nothing in March, February, March or April, because that's when the men play. And there was a point where I was like, "That's I've had enough of that. They've had enough of that. I've had enough of that. And national league fixtures and the junior section were really um, work really well together. And I think with Sharon at the helm, who I it's all math, mathematical rubbish to me that how she does that <laughs> but she coordinated it so well that there was nothing else sort of left over no dates that had 
that needed games that we didn't have games or no games that needed dates. We were able to communicate a lot clearer with rinks about what was needed. National were really happy to align with us so that the elite women were given the same priority as national or national one. So we weren't left till last. Women's national one was aligned with sort of national two, national one. And so all the senior teams, women's or men, were allocated first. And that is the order that they went in. And then juniors, because they need the three 15s and you 16 girls, took the junior slots. Yeah. And for the last couple of seasons, that seems to have settled down and it's sort of quite a nice spread of fixtures because we also really wanted the girls from GB to have played quite a lot of their fixtures before Christmas before January because they've got their camps and also we had a point where we'd only played two elite games in six, in three months and they're supposed to go to a world championship in April and they need to get the ice time and they're not playing two-thirds of their games till May it's yeah, not it's acceptable no really no. it's not acceptable and then you expect them to be able to kind of find that elite level of hockey from somewhere when they've only played three games so I did yeah that was that was a big change a big, well, a small change with a big impact because I know that the fixtures had been a bone of contention with the clubs for 10 years. And when we managed to get it a bit more evenly spread out across the season with the staggered starts and helped with dispensations, like you say, people playing for different teams. So they weren't clashes all the time. Yeah. They weren't all packed into the same two months. Um, it seems to have had a really positive impact and a lot less fixture moving around, a lot less um, incidences of the national one and two men's teams and national teams needing to take a fixture that's been moved from a female team that already had it pre-booked because it's all been pushed to like a block in the season yeah. nicely spread out. So yeah, I feel, I feel like we're kind of, again, in terms of legitimacy and a bit more recognition, a bit more respect, that that's another thing in terms of face-off times and the dates that we've worked really hard to try and um, bring up to an even keel to sort of national, because it's senior hockey. Doesn't matter yeah. if it like said, it's not matter it matter if it's women's or men's, it's senior hockey and it's they should hockey, yeah. treat it as such. Yeah, and none of none of the face offs are like they're not unsociable times, so you can go families can all go together. Yeah. Sort of go and watch it. And it's it's incredibly good value. Sometimes it's free. Yeah. I'd say ninety nine percent of the time yeah. it's free. <laughs> so yeah, there can be no complaints about it really. So I mean I I think we've we've covered everything I wanted to cover there. I think we've got the word out fantastically. Um, and I, from this moment on, I did, I interviewed a lot of say the uh, youth players last year. I'll be trying to have one, at least a month player from the WNOHL or the national, the national one, uh, coming on. I've got Chantel Air coming on in November from Streatham Storm. Mm-hmm. Uh, she'll be the first one. And then hopefully we'll get that rolling and just keep getting the word out there. I love that. That's really good. Thank yeah. You. Well, um, thank you so much for your time this evening, ladies. It's been a real pleasure discussing this sport. Always, always glad to talk about this sport. Well, thanks for inviting us. And it's always nice to see Lucy because I only ever get to see her when bees are away <laughs> twice a year. And then at playoffs, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> but if anyone wants to volunteer at women's playoffs in 2024, get in touch. We always need volunteers and helpers. Uh. There's someone who is a permanent, almost mentor volunteer, shall I say. Uh, 100% worth it. If you want to volunteer for events, for women's, any form of events, it's 100% worth your time. And uh, people can find that on the EIHA website? 
yeah my email address is on there as well so if you want to contact me just email me my contact details are on there um don't add me on instagram thank you um <laughs> there's pizza and it's a good pizza, time 100%. pizza water pizza uh, refreshments good time lots of chocolate so free free hockey you get to i mean most of the time you get to watch the games as well as help so yeah, yeah it's a good t- it's a good time yeah there's no downsides to this is there no no Thank you so much for your time. Uh, keep in touch. Uh, obviously, you will be getting a bit bit more tagged when we share this out. I <laughs> apologise. <laughs> and uh, we'll speak to you soon. Thanks. Okay, guys. Bye-bye. A massive thank you to Faye and to Lucy for joining me this evening. Really interesting insight into women's ice hockey in the UK. Uh, the, the growth of it already has been absolutely incredible. I think it will continue over the next few years to grow and grow and grow. And uh, hopefully, as we've just, we had a little discussion off air, we could be seeing a little bit of zero pucks given stuff coming from the women's playoffs in May. So that will be really exciting. I uh, hope you enjoyed the episode. If you have any questions regarding getting involved in women's ice hockey, direct them to faye.andrews at eiha.co.uk. She will tell you everything that you need to know if you want to start playing, want to start supporting or want to start volunteering and helping out where you can with the sport. She will be incredibly happy to receive your email. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it. We'll see you next time. This podcast is hosted by Spotify for Podcasters. It is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music and anywhere else that you get your podcasts. You can follow on all the social medias. It's at Zero Pucks Given for YouTube and Facebook, at Zero Pucks Given Podcast for Instagram, TikTok and Threads, at Zero Pucks Pod on X and Ben Hyde ZPG on Snapchat. Follow us on all of those and you will not miss a thing. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Podcast Network.